the most important question you can ask someone is the simplest, is how are you? Looking after our mental health at work has never felt more important for all of us. So welcome to this very special season of the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and for this series, I'll be talking to expert CEOs, human resources, diversity, inclusion, and other leaders in their field on the very current and necessary topic of mental health within teams and in the workplace, whether that's in an office or in your home. Rondette is an executive director in human capital management at Goldman Sachs. As a member of the diversity inclusion team, she oversees the black and Asian talent strategies across Europe, the Middle East and Africa with loads of insight on treating your people right, as well as a deeply personal story about how mental health has personally impacted her life. So we're so excited to be running a new season of the Adversity to Advantage podcast, where we focus 10 episodes completely on mental health at work and the people who are doing amazing things to champion this conversation. Now, I'm very excited. We've got Rondette Smith, who is part of our advisory board. So she works really closely with, with the Petra Belzebor team uh, on working uh, with companies and advising us to help their, their mental health agenda. So thank you so much, Rondette. I'd love to start with just some random questions. Just I love to, that. Yeah, just to get us a little bit warmed up. So here's one. What's been the best piece of advice you've ever gotten that's helped your career? What's the best piece of advice you reckon you've gotten? I would say, I would say the best, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten has been not to align yourself just to one person. So really to create a bit of a board of directors. Um, when you align yourself to one person, you run the risk of that person leaving the organization and, you know, them, them leaving with, you know, that relationship um, and understanding, you know, who you are, what your goals and aspirations are. So it's really about building a network of people around you in an organization. I love that. So don't just align yourself with, with one person. Um, mm -hmm. And then in order to get to the, the point that you're at, and I'm going to ask you a bit about where, where you're at in your career a little bit, what do you think you had to unlearn? Was there anything you had to unlearn in order to be successful and be the person you are today? It's a really good question. I would say it is, it's, it's my shyness, because I think I'm naturally introverted and shy. Uh, it was always on my school reports when I was growing up that, you know, I'm smart and I have great ideas, but I don't speak up in class. So I had to really unlearn that. But also a lot of cultural nuances. So I'm Jamaican heritage um, and background. And, you know, there is this sort of deference that you have towards authority that you're taught or, you know, you revere teachers and people more senior than you. So I would sit in meetings when I just started my career and, you know, be afraid to voice my opinion. And after a meeting, I'd probably email my thoughts versus speaking up. And so that was a lot. That required a lot of, of um, learning as a woman, as a black woman to really just say, you know what, I deserve a seat at this table. And I'm actually going to be the first one to comment because I know that's a great idea and I should share it. I love that. And I imagine that was a process of, of unlearning and just and practicing yeah. and uh, messing up and trying to figure it out. Absolutely. Give us a little intro about what you do. What are you passionate about? 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so honored to be part of the board and to continue to do kind of ongoing work with you in this space. Um, so I am a diversity inclusion um, advisor um, at an international uh in, uh, bank, investment bank. I'm based in London. Prior to that, I was based in Hong Kong for three years. Prior to that, I was based in New York and my career in New York kind of goes, goes beyond, goes beyond that time. And so, um, I, I really do a lot around the DNI space and my main focus in Europe is our black and Asian talent agendas, as well as anything related to religion. So as you can imagine, particularly this year, given, you know, not only the global pandemic, but also race-related events, it has been a trying year for a lot of individuals in our diverse communities at the firm. Um, again, not just ethnicity and gender, but also, you know, religion and also where all those things kind of intersect. It can be quite, quite heavy for people. And so I think that's where my passion stems from. I also, you know, have had my own kind of challenges um, through others and, and having to also protect myself during this time when it comes to mental health. And so I think wherever I can kind of marry some of those things and really help others, that's, where, that's what really fuels my passion. So do you think, given what you're saying about, um, you know, the circumstances in 2020, that the, the conversation, the narrative around mental health globally, I guess, do you think it's getting bigger? Do you think more people are talking about it? Definitely. I think it's probably being spoken about now more than ever. And if I think about the firm that I work at, we had a session in early August and it was focused on the impact of racial trauma um, in the workplace and the fact that individuals are coming in and almost covering, so to speak, or wearing a mask, if you will. And that's not new. So that concept isn't new. Even if you think about issues of xenophobia towards the Asian community, same thing. Those concepts of having to be the other version of yourself outside of the workplace. Those concepts aren't new, but I think now there's greater heightened awareness as an organization to tell people that they should rest, to tell people that they should seek help, you know, to encourage people to take vacation. As we think through the pandemic, I don't know about other organizations, but at my organization, you can only roll over a certain amount of, of holiday per year. And typically, you know, you wouldn't really dig in too much if someone wants to roll over, you know, 12 days, 15 days, what have you. But now we're really, you know, highly enforcing, you know, encouraging people to take that time because the burnout rates given the pandemic and isolation and, you know, again, in light of all these events is quite high. So you, you're just really seeing the, the impact. And then do you think people are listening? So, so people at the top are, are noticing some of those signs and symptoms and in a way sort of strongly encouraging or suggesting that, that, that people look after themselves and at least that conversation is open. But do you think in, in such a fast-paced company like yours that, that people are listening? I think, you know, one of the interesting things is I think it may vary by level. So I think you know, if you have senior people who are just used to going a mile a minute and juggling a bunch of different things like family, client, you know, business, et cetera, they're probably still going at that pace. And I think junior people who may want to take the time, if you're looking up and you see the example of, you know, your more senior person doing it all and seemingly doing it all seamlessly. And you think to yourself, well, I have less clients or I don't have, you know, families per se. I don't have children per se. Then you're going to push yourself even harder. So I think people are listening. I think people are understanding. 
Um, but I do think it varies on kind of where you are in your career because there's also that fear of, I don't want to be furloughed. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want want to be made redundant. I don't want to seem as though I can't cope. Yeah. So the stresses and strains are certainly there. Um, what, in your opinion, what works, what helps, what do you think companies could be doing to support their people more effectively to, to in a way, avoid burnout. You also mentioned trauma um, due to the the race conversation, but I think it's becoming more and more relevant, this um, long-term impact of long sustained trauma on our bodies and how that's um, showing up. So any thoughts on what companies and leaders ought to be doing during this time? Yeah, I would say say things and mean it and and lead by example, right? And, And I'm speaking more broadly, right? So I think if a company is saying, we encourage you to take your holiday. We encourage you to take rest. Rest is important. Then as a senior leader, you need to demonstrate that. So while you're, you know, on holiday in the Cotswolds, you should be offline. So you should not be dialing in and saying, oh, I'm taking my rest and I'm on holiday because you're, you're not, you're not demonstrating that. So I think leading by example, I think also bringing in experts. So if I think about it, one of the, the session that we had on racial trauma, we brought in you know, a psychologist and a therapist to have the conversation. And she was actually um, an Afro-Caribbean um, British female. So she was able to put things in context, which was really helpful. And we, we had a, a moderated discussion with her and we also opened it up at the last about 20 minutes for questions. And so I think having forums for people to learn, understand and express themselves is really important. Um, and if we think about the racial trauma piece, it's equally as important for the individuals within the community who are experiencing it as it is for the individuals who are their managers who may be allies. Absolutely. So everyone uh, is affected, but also if we have some self-awareness, I guess, about the impact on ourselves, but I love that you said, bring some experts in. You don't have to know everything. Bring in the people that have had some of the the training. Um, You mentioned around people wearing masks uh, and, and, Traditionally, many industries, especially those sort of fast-paced, successful, uh, sort of driven type industries, uh, both men and women, but also particularly men. We just had Suicide uh, Prevention Day where the the suicide rate is really high for Mm -hmm. for men. Um, You know, what do you say to people who are like, well, if I take my mask off, I might lose my job or I might um, experience stigma or not get that promotion that I was after when, you know, what can they do? It's, it's a very valid concern. I, I think a couple things. So I think if we were having this conversation last year, I might have pivoted and said, ooh, that's a bit tricky, et cetera, et cetera. But I just say, I call this the year of the unicorn. Like anything is possible from what we've seen. And I think now is the time, despite gender, despite sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, et cetera, I think people are so much more open to the conversation that the first step is talking about it. So really talking about it and taking the time to open up and say, hey, I need help or come into work one day. Like for, for me, it was important to come into work after the pandemic and, and have my natural hair. I, I hadn't done that. I hadn't done that um, because I was never comfortable doing it. But during the pandemic, I had no choice. So that in itself was kind of an, a, a delayering for me of, of revealing, you know, my true self. But I do understand that for people on a, on a different level, there are various concerns because you do want to get that promotion and you do want to make sure that you're still being seen as a high performer. 
though you may be balancing very significant, you know, burnout or mental health challenges. And I think the first step is just opening up about it, being honest about it. And then also clearly, as much as you can, I encourage people to clearly think through what your ask is. And depending on the challenge that you may be going through, you may not have the clarity to really think that through. But if you do have the clarity to think through, like, okay, my ask is, I'd like to restrict my hours from nine to five just for two weeks to try it out because I know I'm reaching this burnout stage. Or my request is I need to finish work hard stop Tuesdays at six. You don't need to explain yourself, but that might be because you have a counseling or a therapy appointment. But I think if you can think through what are your parameters and put them in place, I find more and more companies are just so willing to honor that at this time um, that it, it, it can be done. I love that. And it takes a bit of self-awareness though, or having experienced it already. Yeah. Uh, this is what I hear so many times is somebody who is, has mental health or well-being tools that are non-negotiables. If I dig back, they've often uh, experienced a burnout or a crash point or something themselves. Yeah. Cause we, I don't know, humans like to learn the hard way. What is it yeah. about us? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have, have to, learn to learn from our own experiences. It's hard for us to learn from other people. So yeah, there you got it. There you have yeah. it. Yeah, but 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 I mean, it it takes having a clear ask, and I, I love that you said something about levels because I think we have to be aware that um, junior people in in firms or in big organizations often have that extra pressure of wanting to prove themselves or assuming and perhaps not knowing what their their ask is. Um, when we say take off the mask, I love that you're almost seeing this as an opportunity. You're like, hey, this is the time where before uh, I might not even have advised you of this, but now mm -hmm. I, you, you absolutely would. Um, would you, who would you recommend people go to? So say they're, they are struggling and those sorts of things are happening. Is it take the mask off for everyone? Is it in work? Is it out of work? What do you think? I think personally, the first thing you need to do is take it off for yourself, because I think we all know, and I'm, I'm speaking more specifically from my experience as a, as a member of a diverse community, um, there is a rondette at work and there's a rondette at home. So, you know, that's kind of the conditioning that most people have, right? And then you layer on top of that cultural nuances. And so I think the first step is being fully comfortable with saying, wait a minute, I need to take this mask off for myself. The second thing, and we've done this at, at our firm and it's worked quite well, is in each division, we've designated and formally trained what we call mental health, um, I think they're called mental health. Um, first, first aiders? Oh, is it? First aiders, exactly. Yeah. So we've gone ahead and we've done that and they're at all levels. So they can be a, you know, down from an assistant to an analyst, a VP, up to a partner. And so it's all levels and it's within each division. And so, for example, if you're going through a hard time and, and you sit in compliance and you might say to yourself, Ooh, you know, everyone has a stigma with HR. Like, I don't want to go to HR. What's that going to mean? And are they going to send me home or, you know, whatever you can go to someone comfortably within your division who is trained to notice these signs. And when we were physically in the office, they would have signs on their chair or on their desk. So you could visibly identify who it is and you can privately and confidentially um, set up time with that individual. And then of course they'll let you know, like, okay, if there's a significant issue, we'll then, you know, go ahead and escalate it. And so I think that that has had a significant impact. And of course those individuals are trained and retrained regularly. And our goal is to ultimately get, you know, a large percent of the population trained. But I think people knowing that without them having, you know, this pressure of, oh, I have to go to my manager first, or how quickly is this going to be escalated? 
what's going to happen to me next, um, you know, HR, you know, the stigma of, of HR, they can have the comfort of knowing they can talk to someone um, as a first step. I love that. And I love how you said, um, take the mask off for yourself first. Like sometimes we have to practice with, with our friends, with the people close to us, uh, with looking in the mirror and going, what's really going on? What am I really experiencing? Because I find that so many people are numbing out so, so there's a whole bunch of challenge going on and whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's shopping, we have less choice now, which I think is making people a little bit fidgety because there's less yeah. stuff to, um, less ways or choice to, to sort of numb out. Um, but there really is something about feeling the feelings, noticing what's going on in order to mm -hmm. prevent those long-term impacts on, on both our physical and, and mental health. Um, so let's turn to you, Rondette. Um, what, yeah. are you, what are you doing these days to look after yourself? Like, how are you investing in you? And how hard is it? So it has been hard, given my role, you know, covering the Black talent strategy, given everything that's happened in recent events, I found myself literally working around the clock. So there were some, you know, days that I was working until 1, 2 a.m., back on by 7, 8 a.m., but I felt, you know, I had to, like, save the world, so to speak. And it was a privilege and an honor to be in the position where senior allies were comfortable and confident to come to me and say, what is your opinion on this? Our hands are tied. We don't know how to move forward. You know, so, so I feel very grateful that I was, I was part of that and that I got to see like the fruit of, of the role and, you know, the day-to-day -day grind really coming to fruition. Um, however, I, I would say probably, you know, everything kind of erupted in late May and by mid-July, I was flatlined. And so I wasn't particularly sleeping well. I had already gotten, you know, my sleep hygiene was already terrible. So I was down to about four hours on average. And even when I could get to bed sooner, my brain was still racing. You're also, wired. you're looking at the news. Also, you know, I'm an expat here. So I'm worried about my family back home who in the U.S. there's much more visibly significant um, uh, challenges around racism, particularly for the Black men in my family. So I found my brain constantly working uh, over time. And so I took, I had a week holiday that was already pre-planned in July. Um, and so I honored that. I, I was going to cancel it and just say, no, let me just keep working. But I decided to honor it. And my manager was very supportive and actually said, if you cancel it, I'll put it back in. <laughs> and so, and so, so I honored it. I was supposed to be in Jamaica to see my family who I haven't seen in seven years, but also for a friend's wedding. Um, and so I was, just emotionally drained, but also sad and, and pretty bummed. And so I spent that time really just sleeping. I slept a lot. I read. I cooked, which is something that I wasn't, I was ordering in a lot. So to your point, people are leveraging food and alcohol. I was ordering in so much because I just didn't have the time. I did daily walks, spent time with my partner. I, you know, I just found things to do. I also did a staycation recently right here in London. So I went to a hotel for two days, two nights, and literally it, I would have never done that a year ago. I'm like, that's so stupid. Why would I do that? That's a waste of money. But being out of your home, TV, no distractions was, was really, really good. And also and, um, that, doesn't that highlight the working from home thing so much? Absolutely. Isn't it just so hard to switch off when you're, when I like my TV's over there and mm -hmm. my desk is right here. So if I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, there's nothing, TV's a bit crap. Um, I'll go, oh, I might as well finish something. Yeah, yeah, I might as well finish something. Exactly. So, so I loved your staycation of just like um, get to a hotel, just make a, a conscious break from where you are so you can decide to switch off a little bit. 
Absolutely. And then I think also throughout lockdown, I continued working out with my personal trainer virtually. So in the beginning, I was very resistant to it because I'm not a visual learner in that sense. Um, so I've never been one to like do yoga videos and things like that. It just doesn't, I just don't have the, the level of um, attention span to, to yeah. handle that. But I knew it was important to continue to have that in my diary. And so we would still do our virtual workouts 30 minutes, three times a week. Uh, so that was very critical. And then I would say, you know, the, the last thing that I thought really, really, really helped was just talking to people, like talking to people, expanding the conversation. Um, I run my own podcast. So really, you know, leveraging that as a, as a bit of an outlet. So, so all those things have been super, super helpful. I've also, final thing is I've boundaried my hours at work. So I'm now officially working nine to six. I know I was running a little late today, but um, at least for six weeks, I've asked for that to be a bit of a trial period to almost like mentally recoup from what's been a, you know, a very trying, you know, past five, six months in this space. And um, for me, to your point, it's about using our experiences to help inform our decision. And so I have been burnt out before and I don't want to get to the point where I'm so burnt out and I'm not speaking up or saying anything that one day I just call in and I'm like, hands up, I can't do this. And then I'm out for months and then I won't feel productive. I would have left a gap at work. Not that there's a terrible problem. If you need to do that, you need to do that. But if you can, in my case, see it coming and creatively think through my ask. So my ask was, I need set hours. I can't do till midnight anymore. Let's just it's try also it out. taking a bit of responsibility, isn't it, for our mental health? Because I also see the the sort of complaining group that are like, oh, work is this and work is that. And I get that some workplaces might feel a little bit toxic. Um, but actually, if we st take a step back and reflect on what does my body need, what does my mind mm -hmm. need in order to still be productive and effective, and just get it, having that confident uh, ask about what, what it is we need. Uh, what's the name of your podcast? I'd love our listeners to know what yes. that one is. Yeah, it's, it's called Race to Rise. So R-A-C-E, the number two, R-I-S-E. So Race to Rise. Grace to rise. We'll add that um, into the show notes. Now, I'd love to go a little bit deeper even. We, we stayed current and, and my God, the world's a deep place at the moment, isn't it? The, the types of things that are going on. But talk us through your connection to the mental health topic. So I know that you have a, a heart connection to this topic. That's why you're even giving your, your extra time to working with the likes of us. But just give us an insight into to that aspect. Absolutely. And this is this is a story that first brought us together, Petra. So I um, maybe about eight years ago now, uh, I had a partner that I was I was dating. We met uh, at work, actually, at my last employer and, you know, quickly hit it off, had a you know fantastic relationship. I think we were together for close to two years and about the halfway mark, I started to notice some, some significant changes in him. But we were long distance. So you kind of reason away if someone pulls away a bit, you're like, well, maybe they need their space or maybe they had, you know, a hard day. And, you know, it's hard. You can't just see them and, and say, no, 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 let's talk or let's meet for dinner. Um, so I, I think I explained a lot of behavior that I would now recognize, you know, as a sign of this mental health um, challenge as what it is. I was also, you know, eight years ago, so I was younger. It was super taboo to talk about mental health at that stage, at least kind of, you know, did you, did you feel like you had any awareness of mental illness no. or anything just from culturally growing up or no, 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 no. So, so growing up for me, it was, you know, now I reflect on it. I can think of 
individuals either in my family or extended family or family friends that I think back and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that person was bipolar. I know that now. Or I know that person had, you know, schizophrenia, or I can tell that person was suffering from depression. Or I now know that that person was having an episode. But growing up, culturally, you prey on those things, you don't talk about them. And there's also this, 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 there's a, a norm of what happens at home stays at home. Yeah, that's very, so start, very much start hard. the mask early. Absolutely. From the time you're a child, like even going into kindergarten, you know, something happens at home, you don't go to school and talk about it, you, you keep it at home. And so there, that restricts your level of outlet to religion and your parents. And so my partner, who's actually East African, so different cultures, but similar, similar right. outlooks on some of these things, if not probably more strict for him. Uh, and so anyway, fast forward halfway through our relationship, I started to notice a few signs. And then in the last few months of the relationship, it was a, a, a complete spiral. Um, later on, he went missing. So he went missing for about three and a half weeks, probably still to date the worst time of my, my life. Cause I presumed, you know, we all presumed he was, he had passed. Um, and his, his mom was broken and devastated. Obviously there's no contact. Can't trace him on a phone, you know, what have you. And, you know, when he was found and we later, you know, he was committed to an institution, he had been suffering from schizophrenia this entire time. And, you know, we, we did not know. His sister, in fact, and I were probably the most deeply impacted, me as a partner for not, you know, how could I not see this? How could I not see this? And then his sister was a nurse, you know, and, you know, she took it to heart because she said, I should have seen this, but none of us, you know, when it's so close to home, sometimes you don't notice. And so, the impact that that had on my mental health was whilst he was missing, even when he returned and was institutionalized and I wasn't able to visit and see him because I, you know, wasn't kin. I, I was suffering at work. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was embarrassed. I remember telling work that he had you know, broken his leg because how could I go to work and say, my, my boyfriend had a breakdown, like a significant yeah, breakdown. Just, yeah. I, I, how could I explain that to anyone? This is embarrassing. And so, you know, once I made up that white lie, people were sympathetic, but then after a while they were like, then why are you so impacted? It's just his leg, you know? Uh, and so I ended up leaving. <laughs> I ended up, yeah, yeah. Right. So I ended up leaving that job, but I got so many important lessons out of that. One, as someone observing it, not to be too hard on yourself because sometimes these issues go, for such long periods of time. And none of us, unless you're an expert, you're not an expert. And so not to be particularly hard on yourself if you're the partner or family member or friend of someone who may have these issues because you might not know. Um, and then also the underestimated impact that it has on you as a, as a, as a piece of the puzzle, so to speak, um, and how that therefore impacts your mental health is quite significant. Um, and so I've learned like self-care became my banner. I fly it whenever I can after that situation, because it, I had to then preserve myself a bit so I could also be there to support his family and, you know, vice versa. So, so that's, that's it. That's it in a very long nutshell, but that, that's, that's that's where my passion stems from. Yeah. It's such a profound story because it's so close to home. And I wonder just more broadly having that experience, how has it affected your outlook in general on mental illness? I have completely, I think, turned it on its head. So I've gone from almost subscribing to what 
I was raised with, which was, and, you know, obviously a lot of communities think that that's what's best. We won't be, you know, we grew up with what our families and parents and communities think was best for us, but I've now completely flipped it on the head. So I talk very openly on my podcast and at work and, you know, with friends and family about taking self-care very, very seriously about speaking up when I feel like I'm reaching a level of, I can't do this anymore. But crying if, you know, openly crying if I'm sad about something or, you know, I'm having, having a moment and about doing therapy, which I think for the longest, you know, even now I mentioned therapy to my mom and my mom's like, oh, you're, you're doing that thing. Like she, she just cannot get it, um, which is fine because that's where she is in the journey. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's well-intentioned, but she doesn't get it. And I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen, particularly in our community to get people to feel comfortable. But I think if I can just be a voice and just say, listen, especially as women, not just black women in general, there's so many layers of what we have to do and juggle day to day. If we can get to a point where everyone, can you imagine if everyone were comfortable coming into work and saying, I need a mental health break the same way they're saying, I need to go see the doctor because I'm having, you know, a migraine or I have a bunion. Like we say those things so casually, but when we think about our minds and our spirits, which are what, carries us you know the body is just a vessel the real component of who we are as people sit in that space and if we get to a point as society where we can be so comfortable saying that without stigma embarrassment or shame I will be so happy and again it's that responsibility piece of if we can know what we need or even if it is the talking that we need we can kind of help each other um what do you think it takes if we just flip back to the workplace to create psychological safety so we would say we we need psychological safety for people to and you've been in different workplaces some more toxic and maybe less supportive of, of that experience than others and so just like comparing that like what are the cultures? What can we do in workplaces to foster that safety? Because somebody might, might be listening who's like, I can't, like, if I do that, I will be fired or I will. Some of, and some of that yeah. still goes on, right? I mean, what are the components, do you think? I think education and training is probably the absolute most important piece to make any kind of progress. So that would be number one. And then number two goes back to a point I made earlier, which was leading by example. Because we can have organizations who have built in these bells and whistles, fancy trainings. Oh, everyone's educated. Oh, everyone's, you know, been trained in this, this, and third. And if you're not practicing what you preach, it, it's actually more detrimental, I think. If I think back to the organization that I was at when my, my boyfriend at the time had the breakdown, I was at a very small nonprofit in New York City. And I remember when I finally, you know, I, I never had the courage to be honest about what was happening to him. And I needed to take some days off to obviously, you know, go be with his family. This is when he was missing. And I didn't feel like I needed to explain myself at sick days. You're entitled to them, period, full yeah. stop. Or, you know, holiday, I'm entitled to it, full stop. I remember my manager, again, I guess because it was a small nonprofit, she was so enraged because it was around the time that we had um, a big launch kickoff that, mind you, I had spent months prepping for. So it was really just execution day. She was so enraged that um, I came back. I think I instead of spending two days and he lived about a four hour drive for me. So I went and came back the very next day because I had so much guilt about missing work, probably mm. zero sleep. At that point I had lost about seven pounds in a week because I just wasn't eating. I came into work and she pulled me into a room and she was like, you are so irresponsible. I cannot believe that. And she just, 
I, I still remember the pain of that till this day because I knew I was a quality employee. I knew I did exceptional work and I knew that that event wouldn't have happened without me and my team. But I also knew that from her perspective, covering, wearing a mask and not fully expressing what was happening was my responsibility. And so maybe she felt in the dark and that's why she felt she needed to say what she said, but there was no psychological safety there. Right. By then things had already been you know, broken and I didn't trust her enough to have that conversation. So I think that's why it's so important to make sure from smaller organizations to the biggest organizations, education and training and walking you know, the talk, not just saying, oh, we are here for you, self-care, take your breaks, demonstrating it, leading by example, putting you know, guardrails in place, having managers fully understand what some of the signs are of when an employee's had enough. I think the complicated part is when we think about the spectrum of mental health challenges, that's when it gets a bit more complex because we also don't want managers to be in a place where they're diagnosing people, right? And therefore making people you know, feel uncomfortable. So I think at a, in a workplace context, if we can get managers to understand, I don't want to call it the basics because I don't want to, to diminish it, but some of the, on the spectrum, less severe um, mental health challenges that we may see as a result of work, such as burnout. I think if we get managers to acknowledge, understand, and support reporting and highlighting some of those challenges very early on and, and working towards changing them and fixing some of these issues, um, that's probably the best thing. And even just understanding that prevention is better than the crisis, even when it comes to costs, when it comes to uh, talent retention, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. It's like when we invest in our people over here, it allows us to develop them uh, to be their Absolutely. best selves. I mean, if somebody is in that situation like you were in that past more challenging, uh, with that more challenging leader, um, what might be a way in to start this conversation? I know you said maybe I could have said a little bit more about myself, but some, some people just might not have the confidence that you do yet to say, all right, can we sit down? I've got, here's my three points, here's my ask. Can we do this? Mm. This is gonna help me be my best self. But I love like, please work towards that guys because it really can be effective because you're, mm -hmm. you're making it simpler for your manager to say, all right, well, let's um, support you in a way that, that we can because they don't know. But what, I don't know, what, what questions might you ask? How could you set the environment or the scene to allow that conversation to go well? I think as a manager, so if I think from the manager's perspective, if you sense there's a challenge with an individual, I've said this in a few different forms uh, when we think about racial tensions and what's been erupting, but I will, I can translate this to any situation. The most important question you can ask someone is the simplest is how are you? It's so incredibly simple. And we ask that question with a lot of air in it. So, Oh, uh, how are you? Oh yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Let's get the meeting started or let's jump into this or you just move on to the next thing. But if you genuinely sit down and wait and listen and actively listen for the response, whether it's body language or tone or actually what the person is saying, the closer you are to someone and the more you understand them, you'll know if something is off. And so I think as a manager, really tapping in and saying, or as a leader, I should say, tapping in and saying, how are you is really important. On the flip side, if you are the individual with a challenge, it's going to be hard. So I think really, really understanding that if you're not comfortable talking about it, you probably don't have your list of, you know, asks and stuff, you're, you're probably going to have a hard time. I think it's, it's 
first identifying someone, it doesn't have to be your manager. And this is kind of why we have the first aiders in place. If you're in an organization where you don't have that in place, obviously I'm an HR person. So I'm going to say, you know, go to HR and hopefully you have a great HR organization um, in place within your, your, your firm or your company. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable and, and HR people are equipped, whether they cover compensation or recruiting, we are relatively equipped with handling some of these things. But if you don't have that in place or you don't feel comfortable, a peer, you know, think about a pair, your mentor. So a lot of organizations have mentors, maybe think through a script and, you know, talk that through in terms of, of how you want to approach the subject. If it's easier for you to write some things down before the meeting, I, I would or, say or go practice somewhere else, right? Or like practice, talk, exactly. If you have a therapist, if you have somebody whose opinion you respect, and you can even, even set the scene of that conversation saying, yeah. you know, I'm struggling and I want to go to work and have a conversation. Um, I'd love to, someone you respect, I guess, who isn't Absolutely. just going to kind of charge in with their own solutions. Yeah, it's about trust. trust. But you can, you can test it in different places, right, where you feel safe uh, in order to then uh, in the workplace. But I love that you said times are changing right at the beginning. You were like, now more than ever, managers are listening. And if you're a leader or a manager, um, also remember that if we don't invest in ourselves, it's really hard to hold other people's stuff, right? So you were talking about your own burnouts and, and non-negotiable. I mean, absolutely. People are, you guys in HR are taking on more stuff, right? <laughs> this is what I'm seeing more and more is like, who's taking your stuff, you know? It's relentless. It's relentless. And I have this thing now where if I see my direct reports emailing me after a time when I know they should stop working, I will actively ignore them. I'm, I'm ignoring you. Like, why aren't you, you know, on your virtual date? Why aren't you going for your run? Like, <laughs> Like we are not saving lives here. Go enjoy yourself, enjoy your life. And, and also get, this is becoming started. an endurance test. So like Absolutely. it's all good and well in month one to three where we're, we're like push, push, push. And then it's like, if it's an endurance test and you're not continually maintaining your resilience, well, the, the knock-on effect is certainly uh, gonna be there. Listen, we're not gonna see the impact, I think of this, the same way we're thinking about racial trauma, right? And you know, for members of the black community, we're almost born with racial trauma that we don't even yeah. know exists until yeah, we start to, to live life, right? And if we think about the, the impact of the pandemic for everyone, I don't think we're actually going to see the impact of this for years to come. You know, it, it's going to, you know, we're seeing bits and pieces of it now. But, you know, I was talking to um, a friend of mine who has a, I guess, I guess she's about seven or eight months old now. And the idea that, her perspective of the world is limited to four walls in the first few months, if not full year of her life, by the time we get to Christmas, if we go into another lockdown, right? And that's not normal. And, and, and what are these babies that are born in this year? What's the, what's the future? Well, also with of everything that? sanitized and don't touch oh, anything and don't. Exactly. Hugging. That. I think that's going to be more detrimental than almost anything because the lack of human connection, if it becomes habit and also the isolation affecting people's mental health, but the lack of human contact where you just Absolutely. jump, I just think it's going to affect us in both physically and mentally really long-term. I mean, are there any other impacts that you see if you were uh, to look in your own crystal ball and think what are the long-term impacts on, on the workplace and on people? I, I think the way we work is, is going to change drastically. We've been so accustomed to now doing everything on Zoom. And 
I'm thinking of actually, so we're pushing this kind of return to office campaign. And so some members of my, I haven't been back, but some members of my team have been back. So I'm thinking of starting at least just one day to try it out in early October. And I thought, I said to my, my manager and my co-head today, when we had a, our, our leadership meeting, I said, are we going to be able to have lunch together? And she's like, well, no, the canteen has, you know, they've covered up all the chairs and tables and stuff, but we can sit socially distanced in our chairs at our desk and form a circle and have lunch. And I'm just scratching my head and I'm just thinking to myself, well, it's kind of the same thing, right? So I think the way we work, I also, I remember when lockdown started, I was quite concerned for members of our diverse population, again, whether it's split by gender, ethnicity, et cetera. Because if we think about it, people tend to have a natural affinity for people who are like them. Whether you went to the same school, you're from the same city, you love the same sport, et cetera, et cetera. And that really fueled, and we see more of that in the workplace because people will naturally go for coffees with you know, members of their team who they have this bond with. On one hand, when lockdown started, those bonds re were retained and you would notice, you know, if I checked in with some of our junior talent and diverse communities, you would still kind of hear the women say, oh, I'm not having a normal checkup with Tim. But then if I talk to the junior men, they're like, yeah, we're doing our like Zoom chats and you know, whatever. Oh, interesting. So that kind of translated in that space. But I think over time as lockdown progressed, it became more natural to now get to know everybody on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I think the positive of it is this active listening because it's harder to be on a Zoom and kind of typing away. Whereas if you're on a conference call, you're not really focused. I think that might have been improved. So I think that's going to be improved uh, tremendously. So if I think about a, a positive aspect, I think that's, that's it as well. But I, I, think, I, I it's, think it's still TBD. Well, it totally is in its evolution, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. it's we're evolving into a new world. We know that there's going to be impact on us both mentally and physically. But also now is the time to, if you haven't before, be investing in yourself, be learning the skills, be figuring out what you need. It's almost like everything's magnified. There's a massive yeah. magnifying glass on everything. Um, and figure out what you, works for you. I think what's what works for yeah. you specifically is very important because I know a lot of people are like always throwing out advice. You must meditate. You must run. You must like be, if you do these three things, if you do a smoothie every day, whatever, if you do these three things, you will automatically have, you know, optimum mental health. And I think that's the absolute wrong way to look at it because that might not be what works for someone else. So for me, meditation, not my thing, but I love long walks. That works for me. Or I love playing my vinyl records and just zoning out. That works for me. So I think figuring out what works for you and honoring that is really important. And also that connection piece. Some people um, can thrive in these mental health communities and this open space and, you know, the conversations that are happening. And for some people that are still more private or, you know, they may want to find those connections outside of work. It's, it's that like, find the thing that fits for you, but do talk, do connect do find the things, right? And, and experiment Absolutely. with them. Um, amazing, we're coming to the end of our time. Uh, and I wanna get some final advice because you are the expert on, on the race conversation and uh, advising people on some of that. And, and I just wanna throw it out there. What can we as the white community do to support uh, the race conversation in, in any way we can? Yeah, so uh, three things. Uh, and these are kind of become my, my speaking points almost. So number one, it's, it's the how are you piece. So I, I constantly say to, to allies, 
start the conversation with actively asking, actively asking and actively listening uh, when the answer comes of how are you, because it'll give you a couple of things. Number one, if the person's comfortable enough to really dive into it and say, actually, I'm having a really crap morning because this, this news flash overnight of another incident that's happened, it, it opens up that conversation. And if the person doesn't want to talk about it or it's not relevant to them, then they can say, oh, I'm great. I caught up on, you know, Netflix last night. And then that's another pleasant conversation, but it gives the optionality. Sure. I think the second thing is self-education. Never, ever, ever before has there been such a plethora of resources available. Like I almost am learning more about my own blackness than ever before. I was like, oh, I, I totally know what it's like to be black. But then you start to dive in about different people's experiences and the diaspora is so massive across the African continent, the Caribbean, across the US, across the UK, across Europe, et cetera. So self-education is key. There's so much on Netflix. There's so many books. There's so many podcasts. You know, my podcast, I cover tons of topics on this and how to be a better ally. So, you know, whatever your medium is, films, et cetera, whatever your medium is, there is literally something for everyone to learn and understand. But I'm also encouraging members of the Black community to further educate ourselves yeah. as well, because there's yeah. so much that we probably, you know, don't know and understand about our own history, because some of that have, has been taken from us. And then finally, I think it's important to demonstrate grace. So I say that, and I don't say it lightly, and I try to practice what I preach. And I say that that work consistently with my clients. As a white person, as a, you know, ally in general, you are going to mess up. <laughs> you right. might say the wrong thing. You might make the That's wrong That's what we function. get worried about. Get worried yeah, about trying it's, to it's, get it right, but then, you know, are we going to mess awkward. it up? Yes. It's, it's completely awkward. I, I've had a, a very senior person reach out to me and say, Hey, Rondette. He was whispering too, which was so funny. I was like, you know, we're on a private call. It's okay. And he said, Hey, can I say the word? Can I say black? I was like, uh, yeah, that's what I am. He's like, Oh, I'm just checking. And do I capitalize the B? I was like, yes, you do. But it shows that there was a level of education there. So I was willing to like indulge and help. And now he's one of my favorite clients. We talk all the time. And so I think, I think demonstrating grace and practicing grace for yourself and knowing that you'll mess up, but asking the question. I think the worst thing you can do is remain silent because of the awkwardness and because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing. So go ahead, say it. Obviously, you know, think about what you're going to say with, before with you say it. With respect and think of the environment Absolutely. and the timing, but don't be afraid to, because I think it's about how we say some of these things, right? So if we're coming with genuine grace and curiosity and a, a, a desire to learn, that's very different than the, a, a more abrupt kind of, well, I think I'm right, you challenge me sort of thing, right? So it's exactly. about how we're um, really coming in with humility, I guess, to yeah. always be teachable, uh, even as you say, within the Black community or minority ethnic communities, um, knowing that, hey, I can learn from other people uh, about mm -hmm. this and connection is key. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So those would be my, my top three tips. And, and it comes with a money back guarantee. Because I think once you try, you know, it's at least the first step. The first step is one of many steps, but at least you took it. I love it. And these all in a way apply to mental health as well is, um, you know, show up in all those three ways. Okay. So Rondette, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about how do we make sure that things that we're learning now within the race mm -hmm. conversation, within the mental health conversation, throughout everything we're learning within the, the global pandemic and the time that we're in, how do we make sure the good bits stick, the bits around listening, connection, investing in ourselves, um, being able to talk at work, all those sorts of things. What do you think, what can we do? 
I think it all comes back to your really good point earlier about responsibility. So I think if everyone takes responsibility and says, okay, this has been, this year for me, if I don't think about it as a challenge, I think about it as an opportunity, has been such an amazing opportunity to unveil like so many different things that are going on. If we look at it as an opportunity and say, we have now have these lessons, we've now learned from them, or we are in the process of learning from them. And here are some of the safeguarding things that we put into place. So whether it's boundaried hours, whether it's learning how to be a better ally, if we think about the race conversation, if everyone takes responsibility and says, now that I understand, to the education and understanding piece, now that I understand the impact and therefore subsequent, subsequent effects of some of these challenges, and I now take responsibility to be aware, whether for myself, so, so really take putting a stake in the ground and saying, I now will, I'm so comfortable having these, you know, self-care and mental health conversations that I will continue to have them. So if I think about my, my own experience and I, and in the beginning I shared with you that I was, you know, I had to kind of evolve into a less shy person, someone who, you know, 14 years ago, I would have never walked into my manager's office and say, I'm only working nine to five. Thank you. You know, and granted it wasn't that easy a conversation, but I think with the experience and, and learning again, you know, impact and effect, I now have that as an example so that I can go forward. And now I'm aware when I'm coming up to that time, next time I can speak very frankly about it. I think it's also important that we share our stories and in sharing our stories and our experiences with other, others. And this is why this podcast is so fantastic. Others can learn from example. And hopefully whether you're a manager, a leader, or someone new to an organization or someone new in your career, you can extract some of these best practices and, and really put them into place and use them as tools, use them as tools and resources and have the confidence to really make yourself and some of these topics a priority. I love it. Thank you so much. Please guys, check out Ron Jett's uh, podcast and thank you so much for working with us. We really appreciate having Always. you on, on the team and for giving us the time. I know you got somewhere to be, so thank you so much. I'm heading to the gym actually to, 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 to actually practice what I preach, self-care. <laughs> Respect, I love it. As always, we've covered a lot of areas that you may feel you want to learn more about. If you would like a free well-being assessment for your company, email us at hello at petravelzebor.com. That's hello at P-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-Z-E-B-O-E-R.com. Or check out our website, petravelzebor.com.